The labor movement is the last noble protest of the American people against the power of incorporated wealth. Wendell Phillips. Hey everybody, welcome to the 10 to 12 podcast, the official podcast of Teamsters Local 1150. I'm Stephen French. And I'm Jason Shoemaker. So there's a lot going on out there in the labor movement, you know, a lot of which is affecting Teamsters, some of which affects us right here at Local 1150. Uh, The Writers Guild of America is still on strike. Spirit Aerosystems just went on strike. And Teamsters at UPS might go on strike. We're going to talk about all of that today. And mention maybe a few other things, but first, let's take a dive into our contract. Today, we're going to talk about letter 56, which is backup care. Um, Backup care is provided by a company called Bright Horizons. And basically, what we negotiated in our contract is that the company is going to provide up to 270 total days per year for backup care. And that's to cover all employees uh, under our agreement. This benefit's going to offer three days of backup care per employee for uh, use during the calendar year at no cost to the employee. And you can use this for emergency daycare, babysitting services, elder care. Um, and basically, it's 270 uses for our entire population. So once that's used up, even if you haven't used your three days, unfortunately, that's going to be it for the year. Hopefully, in later years, we might be able to negotiate that up. Yeah, this is um, just kind of like a foot in the door. Yep. Um, And you can use more than three days, but you will be responsible for the full cost of anything beyond that three days. Right. So one of the reasons we wanted to put this into the the show today is um, recently Bright Horizons folks came into the factories and they talked to members about about the benefit. And quite honestly, Bright Horizons is a little bit confused about um, about some of the details of this. Um, At least the folks that were in the shop were a little bit a little bit confused. Um, So Bright Horizons has an overall contract with Lockheed. So uh, some of the reps were confused about benefits that they offer under that larger Lockheed contract as compared to ours. They didn't understand that our collective bargaining agreement kind of trumps their contract with Lockheed. So we're continuing to educate um, the reps from Bright Horizons to make sure that um, you know, the the way they're talking to our members is, um, you know, informative. So um, that's one of the reasons we wanted to talk about this today, as well as the fact that it just went into effect at the beginning of June. So it's kind of a new benefit for us. So let's jump right into the main topic today. Uh, you know, we're talking about contracts and strikes and, and that kind of thing around the labor movement. Um, this episode is kind of hard to do. Uh, because a lot of the information that we're going to give you today um, is stuff that could change, right? It's in the moment. We're pre-recording this, so um, some of this information might be old by the time you listen to it, but um, it's current as of today, as of the recording, and um, what's important about it and the point of it is to let you know what kinds of things are affecting workers across the country and in some cases how those things affect us right here at home. So let's get into it. The WGA, right? The Writers Guild of America, they're still on strike. Yeah, they've been out for a while and it doesn't seem like there's an end in sight. Mm -hmm. Um, It seems like these companies are really trying to kind of bleed them out, leave them out on strike for a long time. Yeah, Uh, We're seeing a lot of reboots of shows or, you know, 
shows based on books and things that they you know really don't have to hire in writers for. And I'm a I'm a television guy. Like I I fully admit I love. I love sinking into my recliner and watching some television in the evening, and it's pretty boring right now. Yeah. So um, I want to read a quote. We're all in it together. We're all fighting the same fight for a sustainable job in the face of corporate greed. That was Adam Conover. Um, He's a writer and a member of the Writers Guild of America's executive board, as well as a member of their negotiating committee. And, And I think, you know, I think those words are pretty powerful because... You know, we think of Hollywood as this community filled with rich celebrities, um, but really Hollywood is predominantly folks like us, right? Members like like the members of the WGA. It's a bunch of middle class workers who are behind the scenes, you know, not the actors, but behind the scenes making Hollywood look way more glamorous than it really is. Yeah, and it's important to remember they're on strike not just against one company, but basically a conglomerate of companies or a coalition of companies. Yeah. Um, And that's actually called the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers. Yep. Um, So it's a group of television and movie studios that have a contract with the Writers Guild. So it's tougher, I think, to negotiate when you've got the whole industry colluding together really against the worker. Kind of like negotiating with Lockheed Martin, right? Yeah. <laughs> a little bit? A little bit. I think they've got a little bit rougher because, you know, it's basically the entire industry grouped together. Yeah, it is. And, and that it, seems to hold down wages and working conditions. Yeah, for sure. Because, you know, you have these studios that might have um, different interests all coming together, right? It's not just Sikorsky Aircraft under the, under the umbrella of Lockheed Martin. It's a studio maybe that's doing all television, and then another studio that's doing movies, and then another studio that's doing work for a streaming service, which is a big part of of this dispute. Right, and one of the biggest is Netflix in this group. Yeah, of Um, course it is. And going back to your quote, too, I think anybody that listens to our show kind of gets the thread through all the strikes we cover, and really it's the same fight like the quote you said. Same fight, same working condition problems, and same things that people are trying to achieve yep. that's causing everybody to go out on strike across different industries. Yep, and it all boils down to corporate greed. Yeah, it really does. You know, it's the big fat cats who are, you know, they got big pockets filled with money, and they, you know, they just want to stuff it with more money. Yeah, same thing when you go to the grocery store, it seems. Yeah, sure. Uh, so really nothing has happened since this strike began. So you would think, why are you talking about it? Why are you updating us? Well, you know, we want to we want to talk about and remind you that this is still happening. Um, Because forgetting about it is what these companies want. Exactly. They don't want us to remember. So the strike began back on May 2nd and the parties haven't even met since the strike began. So it's, you know, I don't know if they're if the studios are just waiting them out. And, and seeing what happens, it sure seems that way. That's what it seems like. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't know if the Writers Guild has made huge attempts, right, to resume negotiations. I really don't. I think it might be at one of those points where they're not going to stray too far from what they're asking for because they're asking for very reasonable demands. Yeah. Um, and I think the companies just aren't coming back to the table. Yeah, they really are. And one of the things that's happening very soon is, um, in fact— as you're listening to this, the Screen Actors Guild contract has expired um, right around the time that you're going to listen to this. It's a it's a week or two away as we're recording this, but th- their contract is expiring. And, um, you know, a- as of the recording of this show, there's not much talking going on right between the two parties. 
So I, I think this is really advantageous to the writers because it's been clear through this strike that the actors are in lockstep with the writers. They're very supportive of the writers. So, um, you know, if both unions go on strike, uh, that's a big deal for the studios. Then they can't get anything done. Yeah, and I think the unions have been very in step with each other, yeah. supporting each other. And, you know, these members work together on sets. So, you know, there's no doubt that they're going to want to try and support each other. Yep. And so, they're going through the same battle. Absolutely. So Hollywood's dark right now, right? It's gone dark because the studios, um, you know, they want to have the right to use writers' work to teach artificial intelligence how to write a script, right? This is something that the studios really would like to do. Um, the unions are on top of this, and the union says, hey, we want to put restrictions on the use of AI, and the studios don't want to hear it, right, because they do want to do this. They want to take your script, and they want to, you know— input it into an AI program and teach that program how to write a script. Yeah, from what I've heard, they don't want to put any language into these contracts at all about AI. Right. And part of that is because when you look at how much AI's changed over the past six months to a year, they don't want to extrapolate that out for five years and have agreed to something where technology drastically changes and now they can't yep. use it. Yep. But we know, right, that there are ways to write a contract that, that gives some leeway for well, emerging technology. And to be honest, they're not going to go out of business just by continuing to pay writers. So, you exactly. know, that's a cost savings they're looking to get, but it's not something that's going to put them out of business or, you know, make it not sustainable. Exactly right. That's a really good point. So, um, you know, the streaming services are a big deal, right? Right now, the studios have very little language that mandates how much they pay writers for streaming, for shows on streaming services. The streaming services, you know, emerged kind of after the current contract was written, or they became huge after the current contract was agreed to. Um, and, you know, now the, the writers want some protections as it pertains to streaming services. Especially because uh, they're making record profit off the streaming and oh, they're, yeah. they're not sharing the streaming profits with the people. Right. You know, like online shopping, it's not going away. The streaming services, that, that boon that the streaming services saw during COVID is not going away. Right. Again, just like online shopping, it's not going away. Theaters are dying, right? Nobody's going to the movie theater anymore. And I, 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 I kind of don't think that's coming back, unfortunately. Um, I'm, I'm a movie guy. I love a bucket of popcorn and a comfy recliner seat in a theater and, and a big screen, but I don't think it's coming back. No, I'd rather be in my living room. Yeah, okay. Bring well, the coffee the, and popcorn home. And, you're one of the guys that's putting the theaters yeah, out of business. Sorry. I got sorry. it. I got it. But, you know, I think the hard part for this strike in particular is these companies don't feel pain until they lose subscribers, and right. it takes a long time for people to get fed up with poor content and then finally quit their service. Yeah, I agree. Um, and then they're mostly just going to another content provider with, under the same umbrella that reports to these, you know, coalition. Yeah, yeah. no question. And so, you're absolutely right about that. You know, they, it, it's we're so lazy, right? When we sign up for a streaming service, we're so lazy about canceling it. It's why one of the big tactics, sorry, that they use is a free month subscription, right? Hey, do a free trial, a free month trial on this service, because they know when you do that free trial, you're not going to cancel it. Yeah. And they know all they have to do is wait out their customers. You know, they're not going to cancel their service and yep. 
ultimately, you know, they're hoping that these people are going to have to go back to work under whatever conditions they impose. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we, we have to support these folks. Uh, w- one of the other things, and, and this is what really bothers me about the conditions, they want to treat writers like day laborers, right? They want to bring them in for a day, two days, three days. Hey, do some writing, then go home and we'll call you when we need you again. Right. Right. It's not a steady job. Um you know, it would be like Sikorsky Aircraft saying uh, to an inspector, hey, we'll call you at home when there's an inspection to be done. You can come in and do the inspection, then go back home and we'll let you know when another one's ready. Yeah, that's a good point, because what they're doing is where they used to have a full writing staff over the entire duration of filming. Um, they now want to try and have one or a few writers write a script and then kind of midway through go through and have maybe one writer help oversee yep. AI going through the rest of the changes and then yeah. same thing towards the end. Yeah. So, you know, listen, this is their livelihood. And, uh, you know, I think that's why this is going to be a long haul. If the studios don't bend on this, then it's going to be a long haul because the writers have no choice but to stay out on strike and fight this. Right. Like you said, it's their livelihood. And they don't have a choice. They have to continue, you know, as they're doing this work and these companies are making the record profits, you'd expect they'd at least be able to, you know, keep eating. But yep. it seems like they're just going to take more and more off their plate. Yeah. So I think, you know, this one, unlike a lot of job actions that we see out there, you know, we talk about stuff all the time on this show. And usually it's just to inform our members so that if you drive by a picket line, you know, you can yell out your supportive um, slogans out the window while you drive by or maybe stop and give the picketers some coffee or pizza or something like that. But this one is one that we can really make a difference on, right? We can definitely do things as consumers of the product. We can do something about this, right? We can take action. We can cancel that subscription, right? And when you're canceling that subscription online, uh, you know, they always ask you, why are you canceling your subscription? Tell them why, because I'm supporting the, the writer strike and I'm not going to I'm not coming back until they come back. Yeah. And unfortunately, if we are lazy and we don't support them, we're going to see the product that we like go away. Yes, it's it's already happening. It's going to be created by chat GPT. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. That's great. So another one that's going on right now is Spirit Aerosystems. Um, as we're recording this, they literally are going out on strike tomorrow. Yeah, we've had a lot of talk in the shop about this. People yeah. are aware this is a supplier for Sikorsky. So. Yeah. And a big a big supplier. So, you know, I, I don't want to get into real um, intricate details about what this means to us as a business, as Sikorsky Aircraft. Um, but, you know, suffice it to say that Spirit is playing a big role in, uh, you know, the redeployment that's happening right now at Sikorsky and AFO. Um, so, you know, if you're you're a listener, a local 1150 listener, you know what we're talking about, right? The redeployment has a lot to do with Spirit and their ability to deliver the product to us. Um, or inability. Right, exactly. And, and now they're on strike. Right. Right. So, um it's about 6,000 workers who are out on strike. The, the company's got about 11,000 people working at that location. Um, it's up in Wichita, Kansas. Yep. Is that up or is that out? It's at least out. It's out. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but Wichita, Kansas, um, it's the International Association of Machinists. Uh, they authorized the strike. Again, as we're recording this a couple of days ago, um, the strike began on June 24th. That was a Saturday. 
I don't know what this is going to look like, right? Again, this is this is another one where you might be listening to this saying, oh, that strike settled, right? They went back to work. Maybe they did, but it's important to know, you know, what these folks are, are striking over, right? Yeah, so the company already you know, immediately announced suspension of operations at their plant. Um, and they manufacture beyond 53K stuff. Uh, the fuselage for the Boeing 737 MAX, the Airbus A220. Yeah. So they're a big major assembly, you know, supplier. Yeah, they're. I, I believe they're the largest manufacturer of passenger aircraft fuselages in the world. Yeah, and they do the cabins for the 53K. Yep. Um, as Steve said, you know, they've had less than stellar performance to start. Yeah. We've had some issues, some hiccups, um, time delays. Yeah. So, um, you know, this is really important for us. Uh, you know, we need to support these folks because they're fellow unionists and they're, you know, they're fighting for their livelihoods and they're fighting for respect. Um, and, and they're fellow, you know, workers within the industry that we work exactly. in. Exactly. So you feel that ripple effect. Yep. There is a negative impact on us, right? No question. So, so what we need to do is support them by... Um, you know, doing whatever we can to apply pressure to Spirit to come back to the bargaining table and put a fair offer on the table. So the offer that the company put on the table, at first glance, it doesn't seem that bad. Um, yeah. You know, listen, the devil's in the details, right? So maybe we don't know um, everything, but um, I think we do because the company actually... <laughs> This I've never seen anything like this before. The company actually posted on their website the entire last, best, and final offer in the form of an edited contract. Oh wow! Uh, yeah, so they put the they they put the contract on their website with stricken language, with um, new language in there, so you can read their entire contract. The union is saying that uh, you know this was a four-year offer. Uh, that includes 34% pay raise, uh, a 14.7% increase to the retirement benefit, a new 401k match, increased time off, voluntary Sunday overtime, which makes it sound like they had mandatory overtime there. Um, but when I dug into it, it, it looked a little bit different. But let's talk about that, right? The negotiating committee said this is what the offer is. They actually had a handshake. They walked away from the table with a handshake with the company. Um, they went to ratification recommending a yes vote. Yeah, they had a tentative agreement. Their membership voted it down by, uh, I think, 79%. 79%. And then 85% of those who voted said they would strike. Yeah. So with all due respect, that's not good, right? We've seen you, similar at other unions. But listen, you and I have been on negotiating committee, right? Yeah. We see how how it's supposed to work. You need to know what your membership wants. Yeah. You need to know that ahead of time so that you can negotiate that. Yeah, you should be steering the ship. Yeah. And listen, if you negotiate a deal and get a handshake with the company, a deal that you think is the best deal that you could possibly get for those members, you have to sell it to those members. You can't come away from that ratification with a 79% no vote. You yeah. can't. And if I remember right, I think, you know, you said a pretty high raise number, like 35, 34%. Yeah. Um, I think it brought up the minimum pay per hour to like $20 an hour, which I don't know what standards are out and, you know, where they are. But. Right. I don't either, but, you know, we're in this industry, right? 
Um, and at the end of this contract for us, at the end of our contract, the highest paid people are going to be close to 80 bucks an hour. Yeah. And I think theirs were like 35. Yeah. 39 and change was the highest number I saw. So I can see why some of their members probably aren't yeah as thrilled right and and but this is what i mean like if a negotiating committee executive board whatever it is if they go to a ratification meeting and try to sugarcoat the offer right and make it sound like something it's not especially knowing that the company posted it on their website you can go on there and read it if you want right um what i saw and listen if anybody out there's listening who has anything to do with this contract and i'm saying anything wrong please give us a call and and uh, shoot us an email and and we'll correct it right we'll correct it on the air but what i saw was a contract that eliminated a lot of stuff for these members, a lot of money stuff. So especially there were a bunch of bonus programs that the members were entitled to under the old contract that have been stricken from the new contract. So there was a stock sharing, right? A stock incentive program that's gone. There was like a performance bonus program that looked at the overall improvement to production, and every member got a bonus based on that improvement, right? That's gone. So that's money that comes out of members' pockets. Yeah, it's funny they eliminate the incentive pay when it, you know we live in a time where CEO pay is always tied to incentives like stock price. Right. So just not for us. Yeah. I don't understand. I don't understand. No. <laughs> and, you know, comparing what they make there to even our Alabama contract— you know, we're at close to $24 as a minimum, yeah. just under, and it goes yep. up to 47 and change. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a substantial difference. Yep. Yeah. Same industry. We have high school interns that are right now working in our factories, interns in high school, making 29 and change an hour. Wow. Right? So if you can't, as a company, pay your employees who are building aircraft, you can't pay them more than a high school intern gets paid up here in Connecticut. Something's wrong. I think something's really wrong or something's really right with what we're doing. And I think maybe it's a combination of the two. So, yeah, this is um, this is a tough one. Um, listen, I hear things about spirit that aren't very good. You know, they they have a ton of work. Um, they I know that they have some new contracts with Boeing and with Airbus and they're working and working and working. Um, but, uh, you know. A lot of work doesn't necessarily mean a lot of money. Uh, so hopefully the company's going to survive this. And, and I say that only because the company surviving means that the workers survive, right? So they need to get back to the table and find a way, um, find a way to make this work and get back to work for the workers' sake. But, um, you know, the union, I think, needs to make sure that they're doing a good job of not only negotiating, but of communicating the true value of the contract, right? Make sure that the members understand, make sure that the members know that this is the best deal they can get if that's, in in fact, the case, and um, make sure you get that yes vote. It's embarrassing. If you, if you recommend a contract for ratification and you end up on strike, that's embarrassing. Yeah. It's got to be hard to face a company after that, you know, knowing that you don't have the support of your members and really just that you're out of touch with what your members want. Yeah. So the the union actually made a public statement after the strike vote saying we're going to poll our members and, and find out, you know, what their issues are with the offer. 
Well, that's good. The, that, it is good, but it seems backwards, late. right? It's it's the the you know putting the cart before the horse or the opposite of that, right? It's you know you're backpedaling, you're doing something on the back end that you should have done on the front end. Yeah, when you think about our contract surveys that we run, yeah, right? we we're work. Do- we we're work doing really it for hard. Alabama right yeah, now. Yeah, we work really hard to make sure that we know what our members' priorities are before we go to negotiate, and we we try to get that stuff in the contract. Yeah. You know, and that takes us over to UPS where 97% of the unionized workers voted on a strike authorization. If things don't go well, 97% are ready to hit the streets. Yeah. Um, I'm sure you read what the company said in, in reaction to that. Yeah. You know, that um, doesn't mean we're going on yeah, strike. Yeah. UPS and, is like, oh, that's a part of the process. We know that's happening. 97%'s a lot. Yeah. They claim, oh, it's all to be expected. Yeah. yeah. I don't think they expected 97%. Probably not. Probably not. And there have been some strong quotes, you know, coming out of there. We should probably go in order here. Yeah. Yeah. Why don't we? Why don't we talk about UPS? Um, So um, they're continuing to negotiate towards that national agreement, right? Uh, The current agreement expires at midnight on July 31st. So that strike that was authorized would happen on August 1st. Um, If it does happen, if they can't come to an agreement. And Sean O'Brien has been clear that there's going to be no extension. You know, if there's not a deal by then, then everybody's going to be out. Absolutely. And he actually had a quote about the vote that we just talked about, the authorization vote. He said, the vote shows that hundreds of thousands of Teamsters are united and determined to get the best contract in our history at UPS. If this multi-billion dollar corporation fails to deliver on the contract that our hardworking members deserve, UPS will be striking itself. The strongest leverage our members have is their labor, and they are prepared to withhold it to ensure UPS acts accordingly. Yeah, those are strong words, and, and, you know, I hope that UPS takes it seriously because Sean's not messing around. No, no. And, you know, they have somewhat recent memory. In 1997, there was a 15-day walkout, 185,000 workers, uh, and it really crippled the company's earnings. Now and, we're now we're talking about three hundred and forty thousand workers. Yep, and I don't care. I don't care what company it is, right? I don't. I don't care what company it is in this country. If any company that has three hundred and forty thousand workers, those workers walk off the job, it's going to affect the country. Yeah, UPS's own estimates say that they deliver approximately well the equivalent of six percent of our nation's gross domestic product. That's amazing. That's a large amount. And I think it's around a quarter of packages delivered in the country. Yeah. So, I mean, think about that, right? If our GDP drops in one day by 6%, our economy is in a tailspin. Yeah. Right? So this is potentially really bad. But listen, you know, it's time, right? A lot has happened since the last contract. And by the way, the last contract sucked. Right. So that's what I was alluding to earlier. You know, that last contract, there was a lot of UPS members that felt like they were pushed in a direction that they didn't necessarily agree with. Oh, there's no question. And now we have Sean who's really going to correct that wrong. Yeah, this gets back and this is personal for Sean, right? This is really personal for him because he was on the negotiating committee for UPS in the last contract and Hoffa threw him off of the off of the negotiating committee. Um, and then Hoffa turned around and negotiated a subpar contract that members voted against. They voted no on that contract. And Hoffa, he put into action this this little used provision, this rule that says that if less than a certain percentage of the overall membership casts a vote, 
then the executive board can push that contract through and approve it. And that's what he did. Yeah, he approved a contract that was voted down. Yep, it's called the two-thirds rule. Yep. Um, and like Steve said, if a certain percentage don't vote, then the contract can be imposed. Yeah. And that's what Hoffa did. And listen, that was his demise. That's why he retired, but that's why his endorsed candidate didn't win the general election that we just saw. It's why Sean O'Brien is now the general president of the Teamsters Union. And again, it's personal for Sean, right? So this really goes right to home for him. And he's going to make sure that that doesn't happen again. Yeah, and that contract created what they call the 22.4 provision, which is basically a two-tier system. um, And that is a huge sticking point in this contract. They're really trying to eliminate that. They've got a lot more part-time workers there. Uh, Part-time workers, they obviously believe, should be paid the same for the same work. Um, And that's a huge sticking point. Yeah. So the union went into these negotiations looking for a few things, right? A handful of big things like um, air conditioning, uh, all the UPS vehicles, uh, pay increases for part-time workers to at least $25 an hour, elimination of that two-tier wage system for package drivers, um, ending subcontracting, eliminating those driver-facing cameras, um improvements to driver safety yep yep. you you forget they have to deal with not only the heat where we saw people collapse from heat exhaustion last year um deaths from dogs we've seen you know across that industry attacks so the union revealed um again as we're recording this just uh earlier in the week um they revealed that non-economics are all agreed to right they have handshake agreements on 43 provisions, right? 43 non-economic issues. Um, They range from issues like the in-vehicle cameras, health and safety, subcontracting, um, you know, things like that. But to be honest, the union and the company as well are being pretty tight-lipped about what the details of those agreements are. I think, you know, out of respect, the company's not saying anything. And I think the union wants to keep those things out of the public eye so that they can first present them to their membership at ratification. So we're not going to get a ton of details. The one thing that the union did reveal, um, because it was they were pretty proud of it, they did apparently get a handshake agreement to um, air condition all the trucks. Yeah, so it's going to be new trucks moving forward. Yep. Um, in the interim, I think they're going to be putting a couple fans into okay. the current box trucks. Yep. And I think they're going to be retrofitting some with heat shields. Yep. Um, so at least it's starting the conversation and it's getting the ball rolling yeah, in the right direction. Yeah. And, you know, Sean made it really clear, um, as well as Secretary Treasurer Zuckerman, that there have been no concessions so far, right? The union went into this saying we're n- there will not be one concession. And so far, um, they say that they've maintained that. And there's good reason for this. These, you know, I've put up a lot of stuff on social media sharing from the Teamsters uh, estimates of how much money they're making. But UPS and all these other companies are doing better than they've ever done. Um, and yep. they have done so on the backs of their workers who continued to keep our economy afloat during the downturns from COVID. Yeah, no question about it. It's time. I mean, it's definitely time for this to happen. You know, hopefully people, as they see UPS workers out bargaining, think back to when COVID started. And, you know, you didn't have the ability to go to the store very easily. And those people delivering to your homes yep. kept everybody comfortable. Yeah. And they risked their health 
right? Their health and safety doing it. Yeah. Um, one of the things that, that I put into my notes, because I, I love how these companies, you know, they say, yeah, we're going to, you know, we're going to negotiate fairly. We, you know, we understand what the union's looking for and we don't see any problems with that. And one of the first things that the UPS negotiating committee put on the table was, um, a proposal that they called five and seven scheduling. Um, which was a proposal that would have allowed the company to schedule workers for any five days during a seven-day period. So, in other words, like, this was a blatant proposal to eliminate overtime pay, right? So, we're going to make your five-day work week include Saturday and Sunday, right? Right, or Saturday, and the other guy over there is going to, his is going to include Sunday, uh, you know. So, this is something that they proposed, uh, the Teamsters knocked it down pretty quickly and said, we'll be on strike on yeah. August 1st if that happens. Well, you know why they need to save money. It's because their annual profits in the past two <laughs> years are close to three times what they were pre-pandemic. Yeah. Three times as much pre-pandemic. Yep. Since, uh, what what are their revenues? The company returned $8.6 to shareholders in the form of dividends and stock buybacks just in 2022. That's insane. And they're forecast to share another $8.4 billion with their shareholders this year. So you've got $8.4 billion to give to your shareholders, but what about the people that are delivering all your packages? Because right. that money is made by delivering around 25 million packages a day. Right. That Those don't deliver themselves. Nope. And that's 10 million more parcels per year than it, it delivered during uh, the years leading up to the pandemic. Right. So, again, like we've been saying all along, the pandemic changed this business. Yep. Um, it put a lot more money into the UPS coffers, and it's time for Teamsters to get some of that money. Yeah, right? they're, they're making more than ever, and the Teamsters are working harder than ever. Right. So, you know, I say all the time, I, I, I talk to our members all the time about making sure that the company prospers, right? About doing the things to make sure that our employer is successful. And the term I always use is... When the company pie is bigger, our piece of that pie is bigger, right? And that's the logic here, right? We grew, and when I say we, I mean Teamsters. We grew the UPS pie. We grew it by three times. And it's time for our piece to get bigger. Yeah. Shouldn't stay the same size, that's for sure. No, it shouldn't. So um, I think I read something like $56 billion in revenue in the last two years the company's done. Yeah, I, I could pull up some stats, but I just wanted to give you a quote from Sean O'Brien. He said, the Teamsters will not bargain or accept any contract that's cost neutral. We're not going to sell ourselves short in these negotiations, and we will not buy back terms and conditions to protect our members. We have 39 days to go at the time that he said this. This company is wasting time putting forth offensive proposals. If UPS wants to negotiate a contract for 1997 working conditions, they're going to get 1997 consequences. <laughs> That's so. fantastic. And he said that actually just the other day, um, I think yesterday maybe, yeah. uh, after the union negotiating committee essentially walked out of negotiations on the first day of economic uh, negotiations, right? So they just started economics. The company put forward a proposal that the committee called insulting. Um, the union refused to even counter it and just they walked out and said, do better. Right. So it's right back in the in the company's lap, because what a lot of companies do and we see it even in our negotiations. Right. These low ball offers. Right. These low ball initial offers. 
It needs to stop. It does. It's disgusting. It, it, and yeah. it's a waste of time. It is. It really is. Yep. It's and a waste of all time. All it does is annoy both sides. Yep. It, it, it annoys people. It's insulting. Give us an offer that you think is fair, and let's negotiate from that point. You know, and management might take the mindset that, you know, well, you go and you ask for everything you can think of under the sun, so why is it wrong for us to do this? Well, the difference is we're signaling where we believe we should be headed. Right. That's different than you just trying to, you know, give these offensive terms that claw back everything that we've worked for and earned. Right. Right. I mean, you know, let's be honest. Right now in today's economy, a wage increase of anything less than 3% is a wage decrease. Right. Right? So you're yeah. taking money from your employees. And inflation's so, at 4%. Yeah. They want it to be at 2%. Yep. So don't do that. Right. Yeah. Don't do that. Don't insult your workers. Don't insult your workforce. Not uh, at a time where you're paying so much money to your shareholders. Right. Of course. I mean, don't do it anyway. Right. Don't do it any day. You shouldn't do that. Um, again, put forth an offer that you believe is fair. Don't lowball the union. It, it, I just don't think it's the right way to negotiate. It just starts things off on the wrong foot. You know, I say what I said because we've also had times where unions help give concessions to keep certain companies alive. We saw it with the car industry. Yep. But then when things turned and were good, they didn't return that favor. It wasn't, right. you know, oh, things are great now, so we'll share in the profit. So yep. we're always looked at first to take the cuts and to keep everybody alive. You know, it's not going to be here if you don't take these cuts. Yeah. Um. They don't worry about clawing back money from shareholders. Right. Right. There's no way to do that. Yep. There's no way to, you know, hold executives accountable and cut their pay. Right. We're always the ones that have to make that. So is the workers. And sometimes we do that willingly. Right. Like you said, in the in the auto industry, it was done. We did it. Right. Yep. I, I don't I shouldn't say willingly because we weren't willing participants, but we took a hit back in 2017. Yep. Right. So. When companies mismanage and put themselves in a situation that requires their workers to take a cut, that's bad enough. But when you have the nerve to come to the table in, you know, the richest time in your company and say, hey, we can't afford to, you know, provide you safe working conditions or, yeah. you know, a cool spot to eat your lunch. Yep. It's crazy. And we know it's a lie. We know they can afford it. They just don't want to because, to your point, they want to continue to fill their the pockets of the shareholders. So that's that. Um, that's kind of an update on UPS negotiations. Uh, next time we talk, we will definitely update you on this because it's going to be crunch time, right? Um, by the time we air another episode, we'll probably be days away from um, either a strike or an agreement at UPS. So let's keep our fingers crossed. So that's going to just about do it. We have some upcoming events, right? Yeah, so just a reminder for everybody, the membership meetings have been suspended for the summer months. They're going to resume in September. It'll be September 20th uh, in Connecticut. So keep an eye out online. We're going to keep everybody updated on social media, in our app. If you have any questions, you can always call Union Hall or get with your steward. Uh, so just make sure you stay connected. Yep. And then we've got the annual scholarship fund golf tournament. It's coming up September 9th, and that's going to be at Oxford Greens. Awesome. All right. That's going to do it for us today. So um, as always, thanks for listening. Thanks for downloading. Thanks for following the 10 to 12 podcast. If you're not following our podcast, shame on you. Go to Podbean right now and follow the 10 to 12 podcast. Remember to let us know what you think about the show. If you love it, let us know. If you hate it, let us know. But let us know something. Shoot us an email at comms at teamsters1150.org. That's C-O-M-M-S at teamsters1150.org. And until next time, I'm Stephen French. And I'm Jason Shoemaker. We'll see you next time.